Book Three, Chapter Seven of A Daughter of the Vine by Gertrude Horne Atherton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Book Three, Chapter Seven. He slept not at all that night. He had thought that his days of poignant emotion were over, that he had worn out the last of it on the blood-soaked fields of Virginia, on nights between days when death rose with the sun but up from their long sleep misery and love rose with the vigour of their youth and claimed him and the love was for a woman who no longer existed whose sodden brain doubtless held no memory of him or remembered only to curse him he strove to imagine her as she must be she rose before him in successive images of what she had been from the night he had met her to the morning of their last interview on the mountain a series of images sometimes painful always beautiful then his imagination created her as she must have been during the months of her solitude in the midst of a wild and beautiful country when in her letters she had sent him so generous and so exquisite a measure of herself then the last months when he would have been half mad with love and pity if he had known nor was that all it seemed to him in the torments of that night that he realized for the first time what he had lost what poignant enduring and varied happiness might have been his during the past ten years instead he had had excitement honors and mental activity he had not been happy for an hour and the possibility of such happiness of union with the one woman whom he was capable of passionately loving with soul and mind and body was as dead as his youth buried with the soul of a woman whose face he would not recognize she was above ground this woman and a different being he repeated the fact aloud but it was the one fact his imagination would not grasp and present to his mental vision it realized her suffering her morbid despair her attitude to herself to the world and to him when she had decided to marry clough but the hideous metamorphosis of body and spirit was outside its limitations in the morning he asked his sister-in-law if she would leave california at the end of the week she was a methodical and slow-moving little person and demurred for a time but finally consented to make ready her business affairs which consisted of several unsold ranches could be left in the hands of an agent there was little more that her brother-in-law could do harold's remains had been temporarily placed in the receiving vault on lone mountain Thorpe went out to the cemetery in the afternoon to make the final arrangements for removing them to England. Lone Mountain can be seen from any part of San Francisco. Scarcely a house but has a window from which one may receive his daily hint that even Californians are mortal. Here is none of the illusion of the cemetery of the flat, with its thickly planted trees and shrubbery, where the children are taken to walk when they are good and to wonder at the glimpses of pretty little white houses and big white slates with black letters the shining tombs and vaults and monuments tier above tier 
towering at the end of the city flaunt in one's face the remorselessness and the greed of death in winter the paths are running brooks one imagines that the very dead are soaked in summer the dusty trees and shrubs accentuate the marble pride of dead and living men behind higher still rises a bare brown mountain with a cross on its summit calvary it is called and on stormy nights or on days when the fog is writhing in from the ocean blurring even that high sharp peak one fancies the trembling outlines of a figure on the cross Today the tombs were scarcely visible within the fine white mist which had been creeping in from the Pacific since morning had made a beautiful ghost land of the entire city. The cross on Calvary looked huge and misshapen, the marbles like the phantoms of those below. The mist dripped heavily from the trees, the walks were wet. It is doubtful if there is so gloomy, so disturbing, so fascinating a burying ground on earth as the lone mountain of san francisco the sexton's house was near the gates thorpe completed his business and started for the carriage which had brought him he paused for a moment in the middle of the broad road and looked up in the gently moving mist the shafts seemed to leave their dead and crawl through the groves as if to some ghoulish tryst thorpe thought that it would be a good place for a man if lost to go mad in but like all the curious phases of california it interested him and in a moment he sauntered slowly upward his own mood was not hilarious and although he had no wish to join the cold hearts about him he liked their company for the moment someone approached him from above it was a woman and she picked her way carefully down the steep hillside she loomed oddly through the mist her outlines shifting as she passed thorpe he gave her the cursory glance of a man to unbeautiful woman she was short and stout her face was dark and large her hair grizzled about the temples her expression sullen and dejected her attire rich she lifted her eyes and stopped short dudley she said and thorpe recognized her voice he made no attempt to answer her he was hardly conscious of anything but the wish that he had left california that morning you did not recognize me she said with a laugh he did not remember no he stared at her trying to conjure up the woman who had haunted him during the night she had gone there was a dim flash in the eyes a broken echo in the voice of this woman which gave him the impression of looking upon the faded daguerreotype of one long dead or upon a bundle of old letters her face dropped under his gaze i had hoped never to see you again she muttered but i don't know that i care much it is long since i have thought of you i care for one thing only nothing else matters still i have a flicker of pride left I would rather you should not have seen me an ugly old sot. I believe I was very pretty once, but I have forgotten. Thorpe strove to speak, to say something to comfort the poor creature in her mortification, but he could only stare dumbly at her, while something strove to reach out of himself into that hideous tomb 
and clasp the stupefied soul which was no less than his in the brief day when they had been happy together as long as that body lived on it carried his other part and after he wondered if he could feel more alone then than now did it take incalculable years for his soul to find hers she looked up and regarded him sullenly you are unchanged she said life has prospered with you i suppose i haven't read the papers nor heard your name mentioned for years but i read all i could find about you during the war and you look as if you had few cares are you married no you have been true to me i suppose and again she laughed yes i suppose that is the reason at least i have cared to marry no other woman hm she said well the best thing you can do is to forget me i'm sorry if i hurt your pride but i don't feel even flattered by your constancy i have neither heart nor vanity left i am nothing but an appetite an appetite that means a long sight more to me than you ever did tomorrow i shall have forgotten your existence again once or twice a year when i am sober comparatively i come here to visit my father's tomb why i can hardly say unless it is that i find a certain satisfaction in contemplating my own niche i am an unconscionable time dying are you dying i'm gone to pieces in every part of me my mother threw me downstairs the other day and that didn't mend matters come he said i have no desire to prolong this interview there is a private carriage at the gate is it yours then if you will permit me i will see you to it she walked beside him without speaking again he helped her into her carriage lifted his hat without raising his eyes then dismissed his carriage and walked the miles between the burying ground and his hotel end of book three chapter seven